take your Bibles now and open them up to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and let me just talk to you guys. I need your attention right now. How many of you guys are studying the book of Luke with us, and you read ahead in Luke 16, and you thought to yourself, what in the world did I just read? As a matter of fact, let's just do a poll here. How many of you guys read ahead Luke 16? Okay, six of you. The rest of you will pray for. I'm just messing. When I read ahead, I was like Monday or something like that, you know, I was like, what are we getting into next week? And I read ahead of Luke 16, and as soon as I got through this parable, this red letters, I shut my Bible and began to sweat and panic. I was like, what in the world did I just read? How am I going to teach that? And I went into denial and withdrawals and all kinds of, it's a crazy parable. I'll give you my opinion. I believe this is the most difficult and crazy parable of all the 38, 39, or 40, or 46 parables, depending on how you look at parables, of Jesus as he taught and as he ministered. This is the most confusing And I want to say that at the beginning of this sermon, because I'm going to do my best to teach it in the way that I believe it could be interpreted and applied. And I listened to many people teach, and I read lots of people teach, and most of them had a very similar vein, yet with a diverse application and kind of a different interpretation. So let me say that to say this and lower your expectations real low. I'm going to teach it the way I'm going to teach it this week. You might disagree with me today, and I might agree with you next week, okay? It's that nutty. So just, we're just going to, we're going to dive all in though. But I want to set the table a little bit. Like, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he teaching this sermon this way? In Luke 14, Jesus is invited to a meal with some Pharisees. And when he gets to that meal, it's the Sabbath day, and he heals that guy with dropsy, dropsy Dan. Eddie Townsend taught us Luke 14. And he gets in trouble now. They're all mad at him for doing good things on a day that you shouldn't do good things, apparently. And so Jesus begins to then teach them about the kingdom of heaven, and he gives them parables and principles. And last week in chapter 15, he was accused of hanging out with sinners, uh uh-oh, and tax collectors, bad guys. And so Jesus, in the same one day, I'm not sure if it was the same meal at the same table, chapter 14, 15, 16, and half of 17 are all in one day. And it could have been that Sabbath day where they had a meal. Maybe they got a little bit stuffy. They went outside to play some bocce ball, you know, whatever the case is. And then they came in and sat around the living room. And Jesus is just talking to people as they kind of come and go and enjoy the Sabbath. And the teaching keeps going. And Jesus addresses the people that are right there in front of him, whether it's the disciples, his, or whether it's the sinners and tax collectors, those who need to be found. And he gave that illustration of the lost sheep. And he gave that illustration, that parable of the woman who lost her coin. And then he gave the illustration and parable of the man whose son went wayward and came back and the elder son was all mad about it. And he's teaching this and maybe at that point the Pharisees were getting that kind of posture with their eyes in the back of their head like, this guy just keeps talking. You know what I'm saying? You guys don't do that when I talk to you, you know? (laughs) No, you guys are good. You guys are good. And maybe it was that they were drifting or pushing back. And so Jesus kind of zeroed in and narrowed it down to something I believe those Pharisees really, really, really needed to hear. But lest you and I disengage and get ourselves off the hook, it's something that we all need to hear. And he addressed now in this next section a topic, a subject, a matter of importance that impacts all of us individually, all of us uniquely. And the subject matter that Jesus now brings to the table is that of money resources, and wealth. Now, if you go to this church, you know we don't talk about money hardly ever, unless it comes up in the text. We, we don't run our church like some churches do. We don't take an offering every Sunday. We trust the Lord to lead us and guide us and to take care of what he does here through this ministry, and he's been doing that. It's amazing. And so this particular subject, this particular subject matter is all about finances and money and resources and stewardship. Everyone say stewardship. Because in reality, everything you have isn't really yours. As a matter of fact, when you die, you're not taking any of it with you. None of it. Even the car that's registered in your name, when you die, it's staying here. The house that the title company has, your name in it, and you die, it's not good. Have you ever seen a hearse that has a U-Haul trailer behind it? Have you seen that? Like, oh, that guy died. He's taking all his stuff with him. Like, no, dude, that guy died, and he got nothing here. One of the principles I need to lay out for you at the forefront of this is that when we get to heaven, and this is a strong assumption that you're going to heaven, okay, that you, you believe in Jesus, 
that he died for you and that he rose victorious over sin and death and now he has a place in heaven for you. If you've been saved, when you get to heaven, I want you to hear this and I hope you're all going there, by the way. You should make that decision today. It's a big one. When you get to heaven, money, wealth, and resources will be in heaven of zero importance. Everything you have down here Okay, will be of zero importance in heaven. I know this because the Bible tells us that heaven is paved with streets of gold, okay? And that the gates to get in and out are pearls that are hollowed out. It's a pretty nice neighborhood. It's pretty nice. You know, it's a good zip code. <laughs> We've got a pothole over here. Get the gold truck, you know? And so you might have a little bit of gold down here. I had one guy give me like a quarter ounce of gold one time electronically. It was e-bullion. So I'd go online and check it out. And somebody else knew about the account. I think it got stolen from me. It's, it's all gone now. But I had this little bit of gold for a second. When you get to heaven, man, you're not going to bring your gold from here with you, just so you know it's staying here. But listen, listen, please. Because as true as that is, while in heaven, your wealth and resources in heaven will be of zero importance right now. We're not there. We're here. And your wealth and your resources are of huge importance. Whatever you have, whether you have a little or a lot, it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters what you do with that little or that lot. It is right now, right now, with you got, when you got a pulse, okay, I got one. I don't know about you guys, but I got one. Everything I have down here is of huge importance, and God has given to me days. Those are gifts. He's given to me dollars, each one of us diverse measures. And he's given to me treasure, days and dollars, treasure. And he's given to me talents and experience and wisdom. The Bible actually says we're each gifted individually. This really trips me out. Each one of you guys and gals have really cool gifts, like spiritual gifts, like deposits that God has put into you. He says, I made you. And I'm gonna put a special gift inside of you that nobody else has. And it's your job to steward. Everyone say steward. Well, you already said that, didn't you? I'm messing with you now. And I'm going to give you gifts that I want you to steward for my benefit. While on earth, this is our opportunity to steward. Now, here's what a steward does. A steward oversees the affairs of another person for maximum potential development and return. My job, your job as stewards is to maximize the potential and investment and development of that which God has given to us, whether it's two mites Okay, whether it's 10 talents, five talents, or one talent. And you guys know Jesus taught that parable. He said, I'm gonna give to some 10. Don't you love having the 10 talent friends? They're cool. Like, I have a couple 10 talent friends where they have all kinds, of, they just have lots, okay? And God's given that and their job now is to steward that. Jesus said there's someone gonna be given five talents. This is like middle class, middle America. And, and your job is to steward that. And then he says to some, I'm gonna give you just one. And you remember in that particular parable, and a parable, again, is a story, a little story to illustrate a big truth, that one steward who had the one talent, not much, because I bet you there's somebody here, maybe a couple people at least, you're thinking, man, I should have skipped church today. They're probably going to take an offering. I should have skipped. This is about money. It's about, I, don't, I, need to, I don't need to hear about this. I don't even have any money. Okay? You don't need money. But if you've got days and dollars or a little bit of experience, don't raise your hand. But how many have been around the block a time or two? You figured something out. You know something about something. You might have learned it the hard way. And now God says, I, I rescued you out of that. I gave to you an experience and I want you to let your voice be heard, your life be seen. And yet you, like me, have a proclivity, a tendency, a temptation to take your one talent and bury it like that one parable where the guy says, I just don't want to do anything. I don't have five, I don't have 10, I kind of feel insecure. I'm not gonna do anything with my stuff. And the talent, the guy who was given one talent, the master said, you fool. You should have at least put it in the bank and got some interest, man. So here's the point. Each and every one of us are stewards. Everyone say steward. I'm not gonna treat you like three-year-olds anymore, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It's not a matter of if you want to be a steward or not. You are. Here's the question. Are you a good steward or an unjust steward? And that's the story. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, like mine, mine says the parable of the unjust steward. This is a teaching, a parable, a story that Jesus taught to lay alongside a principle that what we sow down here, we will reap up there. 
that what we do down here actually matters for up there. And so it's very important that we get this, that we understand that, that every single day you wake up and say, holy smokes, I get another day, another day to invest, to redeem, to live, to steward the wealth and resources of my King, Jesus Christ. So again, the question isn't, are you a good or are you a steward or not, but are you a good one or are you an unjust one? I'm actually thankful that these portions of scriptures come up, that Jesus speaks about money, that he tells us how to do it. How many of you guys have ruined your life a time or two over money? You guys, read a couple people just wrecked, wrecked everything, okay? How, how many of you guys have actually, you don't need to raise your hands this time, but actually had money work for you? Like you, made, you were right there at the right time, you had a good investment, okay? Money is not evil, you guys know that, right? There's a commonly misquoted verse that says money is the root of all evil. You guys heard that before? Man, money's the root of all evil, man. No, it's the love and the worship and the wanting and the greed and the desiring and all of that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay, money actually can be a very positive and powerful, uh, should I say, servant. It's a very horrible and hellish master. And this is something that, again, each and every one of us need to understand and know that this applies to all of us. And some of you in here, when you hear that verse, the love of money is the root of all evil, how many of you guys think of rich people? I think of rich people. I'm like, yeah, those rich guys love their money so much. <laughs> Did you know you don't have to have any money to love it? You can have zero dollars and love it more than other people. It has nothing to do with how much you have. Nothing to do. You can have five bucks and love it so much, like Schmeagle with the precious, like, ah, you know. And you got five bucks and you see a bum that needs a dollar for a burrito at Taco Bell. Ah, you know, I've never. And, whoa. What's wrong with you, you know? The love of money. Doesn't, so, don't, so don't discount yourself from this teaching. As a matter of fact, if you're wise, you would lean in and say, all right, Lord. Man, I mean, I thank you for the resources, whatever they are. In this portion of scripture, the Bible will say that those who are faithful with the least, speaking of money, will be put in charge of much. Speaking of, I believe, eternal things, the, the heaven to come, what God is going to do with us in the future. And again, maybe these Pharisees, and before I even like read this, can I just show you the very end of it? If you have your Bibles open, read with me verse 13 and 14. This is the end of the matter. We're going to reverse engineer it. I want you to see how Jesus ends this teaching, lest you get confused during it. It says, no servant can serve, that means worship, two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve or worship God and serve or worship mammon. Mammon, again, means money. Look at the response now. Verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things, and they derided him. Stop right there, eyes up here. These Pharisees hear this teaching, this very direct teaching about how to navigate stewardship, how to be a just steward. And these guys derided him, which means to just kind of put your nose up and walk away, and that's not our intention. Jesus wants us to be successful in our navigation of life here on earth. Whether we get 10 talents or five or one, he wants us to understand. And here's the deal again. All of us are going to deal with money from time to time, and the scriptures are not void on this issue. As a matter of fact, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. Did you know there's only 500 about prayer and 500 about faith and 2,000 about money? The longest book in the entire Bible, some Bible student tell me, longest chapter. So, thank you. Glad you were at first service. Love you. <laughs> Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible is all about the Bible, how to navigate life. The longest chapter is about the Bible. Do you know the second longest chapter in the entire Bible is Numbers chapter 7, and it's all about money and wealth and resources? And so God wants us to know, what are we doing down here with a little or a lot? He's asked us to steward. It's not yours. You're not taking anything with you, but what you do with the things here will impact what happens when you get there. And Jesus doesn't want you to show up there and have a bummer time forever. He wants you to figure out down here and not be a lover of money, but instead to be a steward, a manager. And let me just say a few things so I can reference it as we move through. In the scriptures, we see in, in, in a lot of ways, we see these three areas of uh, titles. One is kings, and one is priests, and one is prophets. You see that throughout the Old Testament. 
There are kings of Israel, the leaders, King David and the, the leaders and King Josiah. These are the kings. And kings would be these guys who are kind of the entrepreneurial developers, the ones who navigate and who steward and who invest and make the kingdoms work. Did you know that Jesus is the main king of kings? And he is a king. And when he sees things, he's building his kingdom. And he's navigating in that way. And he's building. And he, if you would, is shrewd. Everyone say shrewd. Shrewd's a good word. It means cunning, smart, crafty, able. And kings are like that. In the scriptures, though, we also see priests. Okay, priests would be the ones who have compassion on the people, who offer sacrifices, who serve. They're not so much into the organizational portfolios and the charts and the graphs and the files. They're more into heart-to-heart connections and how we doing and give me a hug. And if you're not careful as a priest, you'll disdain the kings. As a priest, you'll say, why are we so, why are we talking about all these order and events and charts and graphs and policies and performance reports? And why are we doing all that? Let's just love each other. And the king would say, you're cray-cray. Let's get some things in order, and then let's equip, listen, listen, then let's equip and empower the priests to be a blessing and to go do hope in the park with the burgers and the dogs and with all of the love, and let's just love people, and let's have hoodies below cost, and let's send people to camps all summer long, and let's help single moms in need, and let's help single dads in need, and let's pay people's medical bills, and let's visit people, and let's employ people to go into the jails, and let's just take care of stuff, and the priestly work happens. It's awesome, but not without the kings. And then you also see the prophets. And in this particular portion of scripture, Jesus is going to say something about the end of all times. And I think those prophets have an obligation and have responsibility not to be an orderly king or not to be a compassionate priest, but to be one who tells the truth with passion and boldness and stands in that gap. Now, here's the deal. Some of you guys are prophets. You have that kind of turn or burn mentality. You're not really caring about how it's organized or how everyone's doing. You're going to knock on people's doors and say, repent. What's going to go up in flames? Got to go. And you're going to go to the next house and kind of this, this prophetic ministry and like, whoa. And the priests are like coming behind you like, he didn't mean to be so mean, you know, and you're going to be a nicer, you know, and the king's kind of navigating. And most of us don't have all three in, in motion, king's priests and prophets. Jesus Christ does. He's the perfect king. He's building his kingdom right now. He's establishing a purpose, that foundation. He's got a point, but he's also the perfect priest. He is that sacrifice. He is that shepherd. He's that one that ministers and ever lives to intercede for you, and he's also the prophet, okay, the one who tells it how it is and what's coming with boldness and passion and clarity And I say that because somebody's going to sit here in this teaching, maybe a priest, and you're going to get disengaged because we're going to talk about financial stewardship and being shrewd and doing the right thing and investing for the future. Or maybe you're a king in here and you're going to hear this is such a good message, but you're not going to understand why you should be shrewd. Why should you advance your, your cause? Why should you double up on your investments? Why should you care about your financial portfolio or your retirement or your health insurance or about your community or your church? Why should you do that? I'll tell you why. Because as your kingdom is established, your generosity can flourish. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys have ever had an increase in your, your living expenses? Right, let me say it differently. Your, your, your wage got to raise. You, just, you get some money. Most of us, if you're not careful, will instantly adjust to a higher level of living. Okay? You get more, you spend more. It's, it's natural. It's going to happen unless you have built into your DNA, in your philosophy of life. Maybe if I get more by being shrewd, smart, investing, being there, developing, maybe if I get more, it's so that I can give more. Wouldn't that be radical? Wouldn't that blow your mind? Wouldn't that blow your neighbor's mind? All of a sudden, you come home with a raise. What are you going to do? Well, I was going to buy you a lawnmower. Your lawn looks like garbage. Or, you know, or I'm going to gift you something. You know, and I'll tell you what, right now I'm, I stand here with you. Like when I get more money, the first thing I don't think about is how to spend it on other people. Okay. I, I like you think, well, I could spend this on this or I could get that now. And if you're not careful, they actually polled people who made, this is years ago, back in 1992, they polled people who made $24,000 a year. They said, what do you think you would need to like be Okay. And they almost doubled it per capita. They said, you know what, 48, 50, if I made 50, I'd be totally fine. That's all I need. Then they pulled those who made $50,000 a year. And you guys could imagine where this goes. What do you think you need to just be happy and satisfied? You know, if I could make 80 or 90, like honestly, I would just be like, I'd be gangbusters. They pulled people that made $100,000 a year, okay? 
That's more than the average me. It's, it's more than, than, than most of us here. Okay. And they said, what, what, what do you need? Oh, you know what? 175,000 would really set me at ease. Like, you know what I'm saying? And you know, we, we laugh at them. We're like, why? You know, but the reality is, that's just, it's natural. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, guys, money is not evil. It's the love of money that is. And I want you to be wise stewards and investors and those who understand that what you do down here matters there and you can't take anything with you. And so it's this fine line we're walking where everything down here is of huge importance. Matter of fact, verse two talks about being held accountable. That, that in our lives, just like in this steward's life, there's gonna be a day of reckoning where all the books are gone through and all the days and all the dollars and all the talents that God's given to us or he's gonna look at it and say, what the heck were you doing, dude? Dude, I was so good at Fortnite, bro. I was so good. You know, I was like, what did you do that for? <laughs> Lord, did you see my collection of whatever? I had the most seashells of anybody, you know. What? And it's, fun. it's easy to make fun of other people, isn't it? This is actually sobering. Like yesterday, I, was, I got up at six and... And I had to be in Portland for, to do the Spartan race up there. And, and I drove up by myself. And, and I was like, Lord, I just want to redeem this day. Like, it's kind of a fun day. I've got stuff to do when I get back and study. And I was, it was a busy day, packed. And so on the way up there, I was like, Lord, I don't want to be held accountable for this day, just wasting it. So I turned off the music. I was listening to sermons, actually. listening to like 10 sermons, trying to figure out what this text says. And I was like, Lord, I'm just going to redeem this time right now. And I began to pray for people. I was like, I'm, I can pray. I can pray for people to be healed and people to be ministered to and marriages to be restored, and people to be strengthened. And it was just, it's just an opportunity. We have so many opportunities all day long to just redeem the time. And all of it's gonna be held accountable. And God's gonna look at you and me as his sons and daughters with grace and mercy, but nonetheless, there is a sobering aspect to this teaching. And I believe Jesus with the sinners, the tax collectors, the disciples, and the Pharisees gave this audible teaching that they might have this parable laid alongside the principle that when we get to heaven, everything we've done here will count. So I'm going to say a prayer right now, and then we're going to take an offering. I'm kidding. <laughs> so stupid. But we do have push pay on the app. You can find that. I'm just kidding again. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we truly love you so much. And Lord, these are my brothers and sisters, and, and I'm just one of the younger brothers. And we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, as we study your word now, and just read this parable that we would see Jesus sitting there with a prophetical fire in his eye, but also a, a priestly smile on his face. And that we would respect that kingly mentality, Lord, coming from his words. And we would know that you are for us, not against us. And I thank you for my brothers and my sisters here. Lord, that the promise whether we have 10, five, or one talent, you've promised, Lord, to take us to heaven when we die. You said, guys, I'm, you're going to heaven. So, so be, be set free from the love of money. And, and instead, love with your money. And, and be a shrewd master. And if you've got a little, steward it well. If you've got a lot, steward it well. Make investments, make a blessing. Honor me. And Lord, I pray for help in, in just doing that. I'm about to teach this portion now in Jesus' name, but Lord, we ask for your help. Soften our hearts, and we thank you again for your ultimate commitment to us, that even in our mistakes, our failures, our improprieties, your grace is still there. Your eye still sees within us, Lord, those things of value. And so we ask now for a blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read uh, verse one and we'll just go through and see what happens. Uh, it says here, he also said to his disciples, and here's the parable, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So we don't know who the steward is uh, necessarily, but we know that he's been put in a position to invest and to oversee the things of this rich man. This rich guy hired him to watch his stuff now, and it doesn't say he's been stealing or squandering, but he just hasn't been doing a good job. And an accusation came against this steward who's there to manage the wealth of this rich man. Go get him. It's accounting time. We're getting an external audit. We're gonna see what's been going on behind the scenes. How many of you guys have ever been called into your boss's office before? 
one of two things is happening. Number one, you're going to get a raise, or number two, you're going to get canned. Like, that's all that's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, boss wants to talk to you. You're like, and you know what happens when the boss calls you? The first thought goes through your mind. It depends on how you've been working. Like, if your first thought is all the solitaire you've been playing on company time, you know, like, your boss wants to talk to you. You're like, oh, no, he knows how good I am at solitaire, you know. He knows I've been over here doing nothing, taking, not bettering the business, patting my pocket, wasting my days. I've been called into some boss's office. You know that feeling. And I, I believe what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to have the feeling when we're called into his office, when we're called home. I believe he wants us to enter into that joy with rest, with peace. And even today, we're going to take communion at the very end of the service, and there's going to be an opportunity for you who have not been financially savvy and who have been uh, improprietous and who have been evil and sinful and, or maybe just foolish and immature to just say, Lord, would you just forgive me? <laughs> and he'll forgive you. That was, my, that was a forgiveness sound, sound effect. <laughs> yeah, forgiven. We'll see how that looks later today. This guy's job is to invest, by the way, a steward. Okay, this would mean that he's been in charge of his master's wealth as far as retirement goes and pension and social security and life insurance and betterment. That's what, he's been asked to be a good steward. Joseph in the Old Testament was such a good steward of Potiphar's wealth that the Bible says Potiphar didn't even know what he had. He's like, hey, Jojo, can you just take care of everything? Like, I don't even want to know. I'm over here playing 18 holes, okay, in the morning, 18 holes at night. Like, how's the business, Jojo? And he's like, dude, we're, you're good, man. And he trusted him in that way. And this application of stewardship is, like I said earlier, it's not that you can or cannot be a steward. It's will you be a just or unjust steward? I was having a, a coffee with somebody or a conversation with somebody, and they were talking about discipleship, and the same model is true. God's asked us to be disciples, it's not a matter of if you're a good one or, or if, you're, if you are one or if you're not one. It's a matter of if you're doing well or doing poorly at discipling others. God's asked us to be stewards. He's asked us to be disciples. This guy gets called out. Look at verse 2. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Well, that's not a good way to start a conversation. Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. And I believe Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees and the disciples because it's as true for this man as it is for them, as it is for us. We're going to give an account. Everything we've done, listen, and everything we haven't done that we should have done. And it's my responsibility as your pastor to wake you up if there's been a lethargy or an apathy or if you're super good at video games or other things that don't matter. Give an account of your stewardships. What he says, look at verse three. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? He starts to panic. He gives these excuses. He could have apologized right then. Like that's not part of the story. Apologies and grace, repentance. Man, start there. If you're, if you're in a relationship right now, something's going weird, you get a call, start with apologies. Look at what this guy does though, verse three. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I cannot dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. Stop right there, eyes up here. We don't know why he can't dig. Maybe he's a snowflake without a pair of gloves, you know, and he's never been taught how to do manual labor and maybe he doesn't, he's a millennial guy, you know, and he can carry a backpack and blog and update Instagram, but he's, he's never been taught how to dig. That might be one thing. It could be that he's too old to dig. It could be that he's too educated. He's been a, a steward. You, you ever, you know, with your college PhD or whatever, go to Taco Bell and try and get a job, you're overqualified. We don't know what the case is, but he's, he's unwilling to dig. And the Bible says, not only can he not dig, but he's too ashamed to go to Taco Bell and sit out front with a sign that says, need help. You know, he's too ashamed to do that. We're going to see what happens next. He's not too ashamed, though, to steal. That's what he does. Jesus is telling this story. Verse 4. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. He devises a plan at this point to take care of himself in the future. He's shrewd at this point. He's been unjust and he'll be unjust even further, but he gets a smarty pants idea. 
Okay, now this is where it gets crazy. This is where you read it and you're gonna keep reading and Jesus says some crazy stuff. Do you guys see what's happening here? He gets this idea and what he's about to do is he's gonna call his boss's debtors, the people that owe his boss money and he's going to lower their debt ratio to what they owe him and have them pay it off, give them a 50% discount for one guy, a 20% discount for the other guy in hopes that those guys who he just gives credit to, his boss's credit, those guys would then hire him when he's unemployed the very next day. That's his idea. Pretty shrewd, huh? We would call that shady where I'm from. This would be like if Wells Fargo was firing Jeff. And Jeff had one more day of employment, and so Jeff called me, who I have a loan through Wells Fargo. And he called me and said, hey, Mr. Fischetto, I was just going through some of your paperwork, and I noticed you have an outstanding balance of such and such dollars. I'd be willing to cut that in half for you today if you would pay it in full. Wow. Just, just like that, you're just going to cut my mortgage in half? This is amazing. This is a good day. Who, who is this? This is Jeff. Jeff. Jeff who? Nah, it doesn't matter. It's Jeff. But I need you to meet me tomorrow also. I'm going to need a little handout tomorrow. I'm going to be unemployed very shortly. And this would be pretty shady. And in those days, it wasn't phone calls. It was more just connecting with people. Says he called them, but he had to go connect with them. And he has this crazy idea And Jesus is about to commend him. And in verse eight, he says, this guy was more shrewd in the ways of the world than the sons of righteousness are in their dealings. And Jesus gives him a gold star, listen, for his wisdom, not his wickedness. What he does is wicked. There's no, there's no like hall pass or validation or carbon copy. Don't do what he did. But what Jesus is teaching, he's saying, this guy was so wise, he was preparing for the future. He took the messed up situation he was in and he did his very best in order to ensure that his future was intact. And Jesus said, that's how you guys should be living spiritually. That's how the children of faith should be doing in their lives. Again, he's not condoning evil. This doesn't mean to get a South Beach church, Jesus is real hoodie and go rob a bank, okay? Don't do that. That's the wrong wrong application. (laughs) But I got a lot of money. Eh, That's not what he was saying. What he was doing was taking care of his future. He's about to implement a plan that has what I would call foresight and wisdom. And some of us, we don't do that. And this is what Jesus is saying. He wants us to have a more kingly stewardship mentality where we think about the future. I, I, I kind of navigate between the king mentality where I, I, I'm always thinking about ideas and, and I could get that, we could do this and what if we did this and leverage that and oh, we could see some awesome, and then, then, but I'm right there on the priest side too, right there administering to people and, and loving people and teaching Bible studies and, and I, I just love the priest side as well and I can imagine if there's somebody here who's more on the priest side or even the prophetical side, this type of teaching and this type of ideology and this type of understanding would be very foreign to you and you haven't necessarily applied this in your own life. You haven't taken care of the future. I remember when I was sitting at a staff meeting at the Ashland Christian Fellowship with my 25-year-old brother-in-law, Elijah. I was 26. They were talking about retirement funds for, for the staff. We were the youngest ones on the staff. And they were establishing this and asking people what percentage they want pulled out of their check and put into this thing. And they said, Luke and Elijah, do you guys want to do this? And we looked at each other. We said, are you kidding me? We're banking on the return of Jesus Christ in the next couple weeks, man. We don't need to save any money. And they weren't laughing. They all with wide eyes, twice our age, wide eyes said, that's what we said 20 years ago. You know, now we have nothing. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, whoa. And they're like, do it. Like, start the retirement fund now. But something, something feels unholy about it. You're like, man, I'm just going to trust the Lord. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He says, no, you need to invest. You need to be shrewd. A shrewd steward. Manage your life. Manage your resources. Manage your ministry. Manage your church to the maximum potential. And it takes foresight and planning, discipline, wisdom, and cleverness. God doesn't want us to be irresponsible down here, because we will be held accountable in heaven. As a matter of fact, good stewardship down here, I'm going to say it this way, because it'll make the most sense. You might disagree. Because the priests, they want to do spiritual things, and we need to pray more. We need more, we just need prayer meetings. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Can I, can I get an amen for prayer meetings? 
I would say that good management and stewardship is as holy, I use that word on purpose, not, not valuable or effective, as holy, if you're a king, as a prayer meeting for the priest people. And we're all called to be those ministers in that way. Good management and good stewardship, people who are savvy, 10 talent individuals, who see what's going on, who navigate and manage the wealth of another man. That other man is Jesus Christ. That activity, that responsibility is as holy as a prayer meeting done as unto the Lord to maximize the stewardship and potential of the kingdom of God. This is, again, hard for some of us to conceptualize, but I think it's important. Jesus brings it out for our understanding Look at his idea. This is where it gets nuts. I believe I read to you verse four. Verse five says, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. This wouldn't have been crude oil. This is like olive oil. And so he said to him, well, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. I'm gonna give you 50% discount. Whoa, crazy. Thanks, Jeff. And verse seven, and then he said to the other, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And so he said to him, well, take your bill and write 80. I'm gonna give you a 20% discount. And don't forget, my name's Jeff. There's a survey on the receipt. You can go ahead and contact me privately. Uh, verse eight. So the master, this is crazy, commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Stop right there, Isaac, but that's the end of the parable. Jesus now gives a teaching and application. So the, I don't know how this, it's just, it's, it didn't actually happen. Some actually believe this isn't a parable, but it's a recollection of a true story that did go down. I wasn't there, I don't know. But Jesus says that the master, when he saw this shrewd steward, he said, you did what? See, that's crazy. You were hustling, man. Like you just, that was, I've never seen anything that brave. That was nuts. I was actually trying to think of some situations and illustrations where my kids have pulled fast ones on me that I had to just sit back and be like, I'm not even gonna discipline you, that's so cool. You know what I'm saying? Like that, one time we found all these wrappers, candy wrappers in our house, like all stowed and hid away and I showed them to Noah. I was like, where's this from? He's like, well, I've been sneaking down at night and eating candy at night while everyone sleeps and putting them over there. I was like, that's so funny. You know, I'm not even, you're not even in trouble, that's so funny to me. And shrewd. And this master commands him, he's like, commends him. He says, that's, that's pretty nutty. Now again, this isn't validating the sin aspect. This is validating the wisdom that this guy took the foresight to take care of his future. Jesus is using this both temporally in our life on earth, but also eternally for our life in heaven. Look how Jesus then says, verse eight, so the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. In other words, he wants us to deal shrewdly in our lives to be smart, cunning, and in, uh, intuitive and ingenuitive. Look at what he says in verse eight, the middle, for the sons of this world, that's non-believers, are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Stop right there, eyes up here. I would agree with this without even explaining it. I mean, the, the rest of the business world, the secular world, they're pretty smart, right? They're innovative. They're the leaders, the business leaders, the education leaders. They've taken over the world. Jesus here is bringing that up as a, as a, as a balance point, and he says, this ought not to be so. That the Christians should have an equal level of shrewdness in what they do and how they serve and the impact they bring. Now, if you're like me, you're like, I don't see that ever happening. The world's going crazy. Now, again, the world is doing what they do, not for God's advancement and for the kingdom and development and for people to be saved. But that doesn't mean you and I don't have to stand accountable for what God's given to us and say, let's do it. Let's see how many people, let's see how many burgers we can give away. Let's see how many people we can see come to Jesus. Let's maximize our potential. This is why we stream our services at all three services live all over the world. This is why we bring in bands and spend lots of money on Easter to make it more attractive for people to come in and then get baptized and repent and be saved from their sins. And this is why we send people on missions and this is why we do whatever we can in our little scope in order that people would come to know Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome if we all just kind of lived that way? Like let's say you got your paycheck next week. This is just you. Or let's say you went home and looked at your house and said, man, I was at a friend's house this last week for dinner and they just moved in at a Walport and I don't want to embarrass them so their names are Pastor Marty and Nancy Atkins. <laughs> and it was cool because we were at their house and, and the way they were talking about their house is they said, we really want this to be used for the Lord though. We've got people in Corvallis we know, we moved there and we're, we, we want this to be a destination where people can come and stay and retreat and it's, it's, this, is, this is a house, it's, it's technically our house but it's the Lord's house. And every one of us can make that decision right now about your car, your time, your talent, 
What has God given to you to steward? I remember one time I was in Ashland doing a wedding, and I lived here within the last seven years, and I got called back there to do a wedding. So I was there for the weekend, and my pastor, Mark, knew I was in town. And he said, oh, I hear you're doing the wedding. Do you want to teach on Sunday? It'd be fun to have you back. And you know what I told him? I said, let me pray about it. And the Lord spoke to me instantly. And he said, what are you going to do? And he said, I didn't give you a gift of teaching to use whenever you want, bro. If he's asking you to teach, you teach. And I called him, I texted him, I was like, I'm in, bro, I'm in, I'll teach. And in my flesh, though, I didn't want to teach. I have to go do a wedding, I want to relax a little bit. Teaching takes a whole other level of investment and preparation and, and all this stuff. And I was like, I didn't want to do that. And the Lord says, I gave you a gift. The heck, dude? And I, I sat down, I was like, thank you, Lord, I'll put together a message. And the Lord wants us to have that kind of kingly outlook. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Otherwise, you're going to waste your life on yourself. There's three things you can do with your life. You can waste it. We've all done that a little bit, haven't we? I mean, just wasted years. It's like, I hope nobody saw that. Waste. Then there's the next maturing level, which is also a mistake. I'm not going to waste my life anymore, but I'm going to spend it. I'm going to spend my life. I'm just going to spend it on myself and trinkets and little treasures. I'm just going to spend it. I'm just going to, most of us are doing that. We're not wasting it anymore. That was called college. I wasted my life. Now I'm going to spend it. Careful. The third thing we need to navigate forward and do is not just spending my life, but investing it. Do you want my days to count? If I'm a man, I've got influence in certain ways. If I'm a woman, I've got influence and power in certain ways. If I'm rich, I've got influence and power in certain ways. If I'm single, if I'm married, I've got power and influence in certain ways. Everything, if I'm young, I've got power and influence in single ways. If I'm old, I've got power and influence in certain ways. Every single avenue of life has afforded to you a responsibility to step up and say, all right, I can do that. Maybe God's given to you a business and resources. You, you have stuff. And God says, I, love, I, I gave you that, just so you know. I gave you that voice. I, I gave you whatever, that inheritance, that... It's just fun. That's why I look at all you guys, I'm like, dude, you guys are so gifted. You have stuff. You have, you're, just, you're so valuable. You're made in God's image. And probably the most valuable thing about you is that you know the words of eternal life. Shoot. And how many of you guys have believed a lie when you wake up every morning, you think, well, I'm nothing because of your past, or because maybe you are in the red, you're in debt, you're upside down. I'm nothing. Maybe you don't know enough. Maybe you compare yourself wrongly to, to other people. And yet the Lord might say, hey, do you know how to get to heaven when you die? Yeah, I know that. <laughs> what? Dude, that's the most valuable thing in the world. And God's asked you to steward that, to steward it, to develop it, to embrace it. And it's going to be seen, your inheritance in heaven is going to be seen in the way you're a king, the way you're a priest, and the way you're a prophet. As a matter of fact, look what Jesus says. So the master commanded, commended the steward, verse 8, the unjust steward, because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, here's the teaching now, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Jesus now gives the words and the instructions on what do we do with unrighteous mammon. Again, money isn't evil. It's the love of money. But I would go on to say money's not neutral. It actually is kind of evil. Okay? It, it veers on that side. You have to redeem it. You have to be real careful. Peter and Paul in their epistles when addressing money called it filthy lucre. Not filthy luke. Lucre. <sighs> One of those unfortunate, like, word, you know, it's kind of like lukewarm. It's like, come on, man, really? You know, I feel, anyways, filthy. Did you know that they actually did a test and they took dollar bills, fives and ones and tens, and they studied them. And, and on fives, tens, and ones, there's more diseases and more bacteria and more illness than on a public restroom toilet seat. Okay, dollar, and you're like, oh, but that's why when your kids put money in your mouth, they're like, spend that out, filthy lucre. You know? Anyways, you know what Jesus says to do here, though? Make for yourself friends with unrighteous mammon. What in the world is he talking about? I believe this is what he's saying is, I want you to be shrewd. I want you to be a king. I want you to get more, have more, do more. Well, what do I do when I get more and have more? I want you to do more, like a priest. I want you to make friends with your unrighteous mammon. 
I want you to serve people. So that way, when you fail, there's the prophetical part. It's going to end. It's going to be, this isn't, this is all temporary. When you end, when it fails, you will have friends in heaven. You will have resources and revenue in heaven and rewards. What if God would ask you this week to steward your time, talent, and treasure for the benefit of the friends around you? Maybe it is resources. Maybe you do have a little extra cash and you could find a single mom or a single dad and just give them a hundred bucks, hundred dollar gift card at Freddy's. Like, hey, you know what? I bet shit's tough. I've got a little bit extra. I'd like to just bless you. Maybe they're not a non-believer. And they say, why, why did you do that? They say, because well, it's fun to mess with your head. <laughs> but now I feel all funny on the inside. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's because Jesus loves you. Okay, and he's asked me to use unrighteous mammon to make friends. Don't you hate it when people give you money? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Devin. No! Everybody loves to get money, man. Have you ever met a generous, lonely person? There's no such thing. Because generous people have lots of friends. Okay, generous people. And I'll tell you what, the Bible says, hey, I want you to be generous. It starts with eye contact. Okay, just loving people. You might even be here today. I don't have anything to give. Yes, you do. You have a lot. You have a lot to give. It might not be dollars, okay? But if you decide, I'm just going to live for other people. Whoa, careful, careful. You're going to do exactly what he says to do. You're going to become shrewd in your stewardship more so than the sons of this generation, and you're going to do it in order that you might find yourself walking in the resources and rewards in heaven. Look at verse 9 again. I want to look at it a different way. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you in an everlasting home. Literally, face value, it says make friends with your money. That's what it says to me. It could mean it this way, though. It could mean to make friends, which means to make tame, okay, to make redeemed your money. Money is unruly. It'll take you down. It'll mess you up. Kind of like a wild stallion. You ever seen like a wild horse or maybe you saw a YouTube video of one? Like that thing's dangerous. Well, until it's tamed. Once it's tamed though, it has horsepower. It actually does great things. So too with money. Money needs to be made friendly. It needs to be tamed. It needs to be brought under subjection to God and his kingdom in order that's used by his priests in order that it can help people prepare for the end. Either application to me makes sense and are true. Take it and talk about it at your life group with your friends. Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least, the least speaks of money, cash, is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least, money, is in unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust, the true riches? Stop right there, eyes up here. There's a whole test going on right now from God to you. Have you noticed, maybe this isn't true for every single person in your life, you could probably navigate and look back and see why. When I look at my life, I have seen God continually be faithful to me a little bit at a time. And then as I grow and as I mature and as I make some mistakes and learn some things, he's faithful yet again. Okay, not perfect. Anybody done it perfect so far? Perfect person. Perfect person. I'm going to wait for you. Waiting for you. You're in charge. Nope, nobody. None of us have done it Perfect. And yet, if you're just going to stick with the Lord and keep going, he will bless you and continue to expand the borders of your tents, body, mind, and spirit. If you're faithful with the least, he'll put you in charge of more. It's a test right now. And you might want more wealth. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys want more wealth? And the Lord would say to you, you know what you need is more wisdom. And if you have more wisdom, I may just give you more wealth. But if I give you more wisdom, you might not even need more wealth because you're not going to spend your money like a dummy anymore. I pray all the time, like, Lord, am I really this dumb? He's like, yeah, you are. Okay. <laughs> Lord, I'm so dumb. He's like, yeah, I love you. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I think this whole passage is for me. Look at verse 12, though. We're almost done. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Did you know that it's all the Lord's? In churches, usually it's taught that you're to give 10%. Uh, my parents taught this to me at a young age. They taught me to give everything to the Lord, actually. Whatever I owned was the Lord's, and I was in charge of it. I remember I would get animals and pets and toys, and I would just say these prayers in my room and say, Lord, this is your bird, but I'm going to feed your bird for you and you know, care for that bird, and then the bird would die, and I'd be like, that's your bird, Lord. And, you know, and 
True story, you know, and, 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 I would, and I, but I would give everything I had. I just had this mentality, you know, and I was like trying to figure it out. And, and then 10% goes to the Lord, 10%, your first fruits, the tithe, the first. But there's this, I, and I still do this to, to, that, to this day. Everything we get, my wife and I, we give 10% to the Lord. And, and there's this idea then that says, okay, cool, that was the Lord's. The other 90% is mine. And while that may be true, it's, it's, it's yours, keep going, to steward for him. That means pay your bills, okay, live your life, okay, buy some things, help other people out, honor him and the other 90%. You worship with the 10. Here's 10%. Thank you, Lord. And now would you give me wisdom to steward the 90%? Lord, I got a mortgage, I got rent, I got bills, I got, I got debt, I got unforeseen expenses. Lord, help me to put some away. This is your nine. And the Lord loves to give that to you. He's like, yeah, would you watch that for me? Would you, and if you have a little bit left over, would you just be shrewd about it? See what's going on? Invest, send it forward. And I have talked to people and I've heard people debate with the whole percentage thing. To me, 10% is just, it's easy. I heard one pastor talking with a congregant who said, man, I make too much money to give 10%, to be honest with you. I guess that's a lot of money. And the pastor said, well, may your tithe represent your income instead of your income representing your tithe. So just sh shift it around. If you don't want to give a lot, we'll just pray that your income goes down so it's easier for you. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, whoa, no, don't do that, you know. And just wrestle with God on that one. I didn't say that to anybody. I would never say that to somebody. I want you to, I want you to notice this, though. If you've not been faithful in what is another man's, verse 12, it's all God's. Can I just say this? If you're, if you're a faithful tither, giver of the Lord's, three things are going to happen. Just so you know, three things. Number one, your, your eternity is going to be impacted forever. Okay, whatever you get, you're not going to get to heaven, trust me. You're not going to get to heaven, trust me. You're not going to get to heaven and wish you had given less. Man, I wish I would have bought that blender. Dang it. Get to heaven. I should have bought that bigger TV. What was I thinking? You're not, that's not, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be so thankful for every opportunity you had to invest in eternity. Giving now will bless you eternally. Not just that, but it says in verse 11 and 12 that there'll be more given to you if you're faithful with what you've already been given. If you give faithfully, not only will you be blessed eternally forever, but your ministry will be blessed currently. I truly believe that God orders our steps and has good works for us to walk in, but it is connected directly to our stewardship over what he's given to us. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm just bored. I'm a bored Christian. There's nothing going on in my life. There's nothing fancy, nothing. I'm not praying for anybody. I don't see anything happening. There's nothing opening up for me. And maybe it would be the Lord said, well, you haven't given the tithe. You haven't, you haven't been giving. I'm not, I can't give you more to do if you haven't been faithful in the least. The least is just your money. That's not even that hard. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest. Maybe there's a few here. That's the easiest part of worship, just writing the check. God says, okay, that was cool. Let's get your heart now, Luke. Writing a check's not hard at all. And the Lord says, hey, cool, let's, let's now get your heart. And maybe you're here and neither are happening. And the Lord would say to you, you need to give the tithe. As a matter of fact, in the book of Malachi, the Bible says that God accused the children of Israel of stealing from him. And they said, how did we steal from you? And he said, because you didn't, give me, you didn't give me the tithe. Have you ever been to a church before that passes the hat, like right in front of you, the, the plate? Have you ever been tempted to steal out of it? <laughs> of course not. It's ridiculous. Everyone's watching. <laughs> right? Listen, nobody would ever steal. I mean, it's like, you don't even want to look at it. Like, oh, is that a dollar? That's cool. You know, and you're like, you know, we don't do that here. And, and, and did you know that it, but by not giving to the Lord, that it's, it, you wouldn't, no one would ever steal from it. That's ridiculous. But by not being a giver, I'm just not going to give. That's, in God's economy, equivalent to stealing from him. That's what he says. Like, whoa, okay. And the Lord says, and it's not, and again, you're, some of you are wrestling right now. I knew it. I knew it. They want my money, you know. And the Lord says, no, dude, I, get, I gave you that money. And I'm just going to ask you for 10 to, to further the ministry. And you keep the 90 for stewardship. And then I'm going to bless you eternally. And I'm going to bless you in ministry. And I'm also going to bless your personality. Did you know that by giving, your personality changes? You, you, by giving, you stop being a grubby, grimy, stingy, uptight person like we can be. 
and, and you stop being such a miser and a small-minded, and when you start to give, it's just, ah, and I believe the Lord is allowed to then give to you even greater. It's what he says. By the way, there are dozens, maybe hundreds in this service who have proved this to be true. Seasoned Christians, right? Yep, it's crazy. It's just money. It's just money, and when you steward it well and invest it in the kingdom, he changes your personality, he changes your ministry opportunities, and he changes your eternity. It's worth it. Jesus here teaching this, and I'm done. This is the final thoughts. Verse 13, he says, no servant, that's us, can serve, that's worship, two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, it's pretty clear, God and mammon. You can't worship both. So the question is this, do you worship God with your money, or do you worship your money as your God? Actually, let me ask a few questions and we're done. If you worship your money, you're going to be greedy and stingy and not generous. And if you worship with your money, you're going to seek to be a shrewd, steward, generous giver. That's the first question. Do you worship your money or with your money? And it can be a slight adjustment even today. Oh, been doing it wrong, Lord. Sorry. Been, been, I've just been doing it wrong. And the Lord will forgive you immediately. This will help you, and I don't want to take your time uh, more than I already have. Here's another question. Who do you compare yourself to financially? This will really help you. Most of us in here compare ourselves financially to those that have more than us. We look at somebody with a nicer car, a bigger house, a bigger retirement fund, more afforded to them, and we compare ourselves to them. We're like, man, I wish I, and you watch, you know, MTV Cribs or something like that, or Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with, you know, Robin Leach and... You're like, man, that guy has a pool in his bathroom, you know? I want a pool in my bathroom. And, and we compare ourselves to people who have more than us. And what happens to you is, guess what? Check this out. You have plenty, and now you're dissatisfied. You know who you should if you're going to compare yourself to anybody? Compare yourself to those who have less than you. And, and you, will, you will be humbled. You will be blessed. It's, nothing will change. You don't need more money. You don't need more stuff. There's somebody that has less than you. I travel the world and, and in, in Peru and in Honduras and in Fiji and in, in Lebanon recently and in Mexico, I still have yet to enter into a house that has carpet on the floor. They, they, don't, in those, they don't have carpet. Because carpet costs, because you're putting fabric on the ground to step on and ruin and replace every 10 years. You don't have that kind of money. In, in America, we all have carpet. It's just, and there's places that have less than you and me, even in our own culture. They have let, and when you compare yourself to them, not in a weird way, I hope you understand that, your heart will swell with gratitude and you'll be thankful for what you do have, even if you're living in a single bedroom apartment right now, okay? Or maybe you're living on a couch in somebody else's single bedroom apartment right now. You still have more than, than somebody. Last question is this, and this is our opportunity for repentance and we're done. How do you worship or serve your money in a sinful way that needs to be repented of right now? Jesus says you can't worship money and worship God. What, what, what ways right now are you, do you work too much? Do, do, you, do you not give at all? If so, money's your God. If you, if you work too much and all you think about is, is money, it, it's your God. God and, he, and he says, I want you to not serve your money. I want you to use your money to serve your God in everything you do. And again, somebody in here is probably saying, man, this is a good message for those rich folks. <laughs> Did you know that if you and your household make $25,000 a year, that's less than half of the average means in America, less than half. If you make 25,000 in your household from age 20 to 60, you will have been given $1 million to steward in your life. It's a million bucks. How many of you guys think a million bucks is a lot? 15 of you. The rest, I don't know where you're going to lunch today, but wow. Wow. A million bucks. Imagine if you just made the average, 50,000 in our, in our state, kind of broad. Two million. When polled years ago, but did I give that stat? But the 25,000 and the double increase? Yeah, I did that. You're listening. 
we always think we just need more when we really don't need more. We have plenty. And again, I've been, I, I'll be honest, my finances aren't something I brag about. People come over to my house, there's certain things I brag about. Hey, look at my dog. There it is. Isn't that awesome? I don't brag about my finances because I, I'm learning in this. I worship good with my money. I, I give the Lord 10%. That's easy. And the Lord says, yeah, that's not hard. Let's, let's talk about the other, your life and everything involved. And I think the Lord wants to, he just, he loves you guys. He loves us. He says, hey, I want to give you more. I'm not trying to take all your stuff. Your money and your wealth are of huge importance down here because you're going to leave it all. And I want you to do well. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to take communion now. I've gone about seven minutes too long. Sorry, not sorry. I'm in debt to you seven minutes now. Father, in Jesus' name, though, we thank you that you're, you're for us and not against us. And Lord, as we come to the table and, and partake of communion now and remind ourselves that you, you would never ask us to do anything or to believe anything without having served us first. And so even as you ask us to consider navigating and stewarding our our lives for your glory and for others' good, we do so with communion, realizing, Lord, that your blood and your body broken for us and poured out for us is the greatest service that this entire world needs, and it's what you've given to us. And so we thank you in advance, Lord. We examine ourselves and proclaim your death until your return, and what we do now, we do celebrating. We also, the Lord, at the end of a teaching, we, we want to repent. We want to ask for help, and 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 ask you to forgive us and make us right in our understanding. And if you're here right now, I'm just going to give you a simple opportunity to just invite the Lord into your, your stewardship. If you would like to be a better steward of your days and your dollars and your talents, would you just raise your hand right now? Just say, yeah, Lord, I don't want to, oh, man, I'm sorry. Maybe you need to repent. Raise up your hand even higher. Just like, yep, oh, Lord, I'm selfish, I'm foolish. Lord, I'm just, maybe you're immature. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe this is all brand new to you. Like, what? It's crazy. Raise up your hand. Lord, my hand's up too. Jesus, I just need help. And part of me would like to pray for just more money. Part of me would just say, Lord, I just need some more money. But Lord, I don't think that's what we really need. We, we need more wisdom. Raise up your hand if you need more wisdom. Just put up a little higher. Just kind of, yep, that's me, Lord. Maybe you need discipline. Maybe you need maturity. Lord, my, my hand's up for that too, Jesus. Just help us. And help us to just be good stewards. You can actually put your hands down. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be good stewards. It's all yours. All the time, everything we got. There's going to be an accounting, Lord. I want to be prepared for that. Would you prepare us for that? We thank you that we can trust you, Lord. Your, your love is evidenced. And so what we do now, we do with thanksgiving. We trust you, Lord, to teach us and to grow us, to show us what it looks like. We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. And everybody said...